Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome to Chatting Between Takes. It's Thursday uh, in the sort of early evening, late afternoon, and uh, man, I've had a I've had a hell of a couple days. You know, normally I try and uh, do these podcasts a little more um, regularly. Uh, I kind of want to do like a Monday Thursday thing, but the reason I didn't this week is because uh, Emily was going to uh, for the new listeners. Emily's my girlfriend. She was going to Los Angeles this morning, and so I didn't want to spend. Uh, <clears throat> the days we had together, uh, you know, w- with me talking to you guys on the microphone, I wanted to spend it with her doing fun stuff. So uh, she flew off this morning, and uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. She's heading down to L.A. mostly for fun and uh, obviously for business as well because she's an actress and it's L.A. So um, welcome to Chatting Between Takes. And, uh, you know, again, for, for the newer listeners, the reason I call this Chatting Between Takes is because on set, while working as an actor, I find that there's this fantastic intimacy that happens very quickly. And it might not even be the friendliest, by the way, but it's an intimacy regardless. And I think it's a function of how um, how we need to relate to each other once that camera's rolling. And so we we hook up. You know, we hook up, uh, and I don't mean uh, locationships, which to you civilians, uh, you can figure out what that means. Um, but no, I, I don't mean uh, locationships. I mean, you, you just connect, and uh, it, it's not unheard of for some guy I've just met uh, to be like, oh man, I, oh, I fucked a hooker last night and cheated on my wife. Or, you know, some girls to be like, I don't, I don't think I love my boyfriend. Uh, and, and this is something they're telling you on day one. And the thing about it is everybody kind of knows it's in the vault. Uh, you know, oh, wait, did I, did I use any names? Did I tell you that Mrs. Parker in 3B wears a wig? In the vault. Uh, I think I got the apartment wrong and the name wrong. But if anybody can write me on Facebook and tell me what that was a reference to, Earl Saunders, you don't count because I know you know. Um, then I will send you a uh, Chatting Between Takes coffee mug. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's this intimacy that kind of happens, and, uh, and I think it's, it's what I uh, feel with you guys and, and, and seem to be getting back. You know, it's really lovely to run into people who, who listen to the podcast and, and see that sort of it's, – it's a nice connection. Uh, I really like it, you know, and uh, there's enough people I know who are listening that uh, it, it feels, you know, nice, and there's so far – knocking some wood uh i haven't been stalked yet uh over the podcast anyways that i know of um so uh chatting between takes by the way uh great news for me a couple things yesterday was a banner day for this see working as an actor is like it's kind of ludicrous so i'm 40 years old i never uh i never know that uh that I'm going to ever work again because it's like quitting smoking. The only way I know I've quit smoking is if I die and haven't had a cigarette since the last one I had because of how easy it is just to grab one at a party or whatever. And with acting, you just don't know because you're never ever, especially not for an actor like myself who's got a nice career but isn't, you know, uh, driving foreign distribution. Uh, you know, not a lot of people are going to see a movie because I'm in it. They might like me in the movie, but you know, nobody in, in Slovenia is going, Hey, it's the new Sean Benson movie. So the point is, is that I'm not guaranteed anything. Uh, and that means that 
<laughs> when I'm talking to you guys between takes, may, maybe that's it, man. Maybe uh, maybe my resume's done. Uh, turns out that's not the case. So first off, uh, I can't share the news with you about Barn Wedding. Uh, Barn Wedding's a film that I directed and, and, and created last year. And I can't tell you what's going on with it, but the bottom line is you're going to be able to see it and you're going to be able to see it soon. Uh, there's some business dealings that don't allow me to disclose what the nature of that is, but it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. So that was huge for me. I woke up to that kind of news at 7 a.m. This is part of, again, this is a bit of the theme of this podcast for me. Um, which has to do with Emily going to LA, why she's going, what things I've done myself that are equivalent. It's it's hard to imagine for myself, uh, and I'm sure everybody has this in their own jobs and in their own businesses, a life in which I might not wake up to a 7 a.m. email or text that can be so utterly fantastic. And you know, I'm really, really stealing from Adam Carolla here and Dr. Drew. Uh, phenomenal podcast, by the way. Please listen to it. Uh, although, if you will, I might owe them royalties the way Sam Smith does Tom Petty because I think I'm, I'm practically lifting half my shit from them. Um, but that's okay because it really is my own ideas and my own vibe. The point is this. They really talk about fun versus satisfaction. And, you know, again, I'm so stealing from Adam Carolla because he just is, he's finishing a film that he he directed, or or I think he directed, at the very least he produced. And, you know, uh, there is a shit ton of fun along the way, but when I wake up and I get that email, it's this deep, vibrating, tears are coming down my face, but it's not a, 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 a woohoo kind of thing. It's, it's, oh my God, and it fires on so many deep levels because uh, I don't know, right? I mean, n nobody gave me this project to do. I thought it would be worthwhile. Nobody uh, cares if nothing happens with it other than, you know, the 20 of us or 30 of us we assemble to make it. Um, and even all of them have their own successful careers in their own right, so they're not depending on this movie. It, it, it could benefit us all, but the point is is that when the when the call comes and the forward movement happens, it's it's so deeply satisfying. And by the way, in a way, it's utterly unhealthy. I mean, it's like uh, being in a relationship with an abusive person, uh, and then <laughs> being so happy that they said a nice thing. I mean, these relationships that I have had with my career, basically, the relationship is not reciprocal. Uh, only in the last few years has it become reciprocal because I've started to make stuff. Uh, and a theater director, Albert Schultz, uh, who runs Soul Pepper in town, he and I had a coffee a little bit ago. I think I was 35. And he said, you know, it's funny, Sean, because you're talking about making things and creating projects. And uh, 35 is the age at which I decided to stop taking and start making. That's the age at which he basically mortgaged his house to create Soul Pepper. Um, a very successful company now. And, uh, you know, employs a lot of people, et cetera, et cetera. And that's ultimately what's so deeply satisfying as well and the amazing thing about knowing that this movie's going to be seen is it's one of the first times in my life where uh, a project that I'm involved in as an actor because I act in the movie as well uh, I don't really give a shit about my performance which isn't to say I'm not proud of it I actually think it's probably the best performance I've ever given but I'm more excited uh, you know the first the first frames on Emily I can't fucking wait 
for the world to see how goddamn talented she is and hear the music that Eric and I wrote for it and uh, and introduce you know Chris Hayes uh, to to the world uh, as as a as a phenomenal talent and and on and on and on and on and on it goes because every frame and every scene for me has that caliber of excitement about it because there's no there's no fat in this movie. Um, there really isn't, and uh, whether you like it or not, there's no fat in the movie. That the, there's nothing that's indulgent. Uh, it's it's all meat, as far as I'm concerned. So um, it's it's really interesting to have that. Where I'm more excited, I think, for what other people are gonna realize about the people I got to work with, you know, about the camera crew and all that kind of stuff, and uh, whatever I might get from its peripheral. That's insane to me. That's insane. And by the way, I mean, I, I've gotten into watches lately. Uh, really gotten into watches. I fucking love... I don't know why. I really don't. Uh, I know it's one of the few pieces of jewelry that guys, you know, sort of adorn themselves with generally. Although Derek, my character in Barn Wedding, spot the jewelry. Spot the jewelry. First person who can write in to my Facebook page and tell me what jewelry Derek's wearing who was not involved with the movie... Uh, you get a uh, chatting between takes mug. By the way, there are no chatting between takes mugs. Uh, but maybe if enough people get these things right, there will be. Her. Hey. Chatting between ta- Oh my god, you have a mug too? I love that podcast. It's awesome. Oh my god. Oh my god. Don't you love when he talks about himself and his acting? It's awesome. And sips his water. That's water. I, I'm double fisting here. I got water in one hand, coffee in the other. I realize this mic's so sensitive. Sometimes when I listen to my podcast back, uh, I, I realize how dry my mouth is. So that was huge for me. Barn wedding's happening. And apparently being 40, uh, I keep talking about this, but I have noticed, and maybe I'm making it up, but I don't think so. A few things have happened to me, and it, it involves letting go. And that's one of those things. Letting go of my expectation for myself as much as my excitement maybe for others. And I don't have kids, you know. I look forward to it. That I know of. Uh, I look forward to that and uh, it's going to happen. Assuming I'm not firing blanks. Uh, wow. Uh, maybe I am. Knock wood. Um, Oh my God, isn't it so hot when he talks about being essentially sterile? You don't even have to wear birth control. It's so hot. Except for the AIDS. Uh, I don't have AIDS. That I know of. Um, no, really, I don't. That I know of. So, uh, the uh, yeah, that was huge for me. But yeah, letting go of things. Uh, the other thing, though, is... Uh, I found out yesterday that I'm going to shoot five episodes of Steven Soderbergh's next TV series that he's shooting in Toronto. Bam! Win! Coffee gulp. Uh, the... I don't, I, I'm, 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 I don't even know how to, to say this kind of thing because I'm not used to self-promoting. Uh, so, I don't know if it's self-promoting. I can't really talk to you guys if I'm not talking about what's happening. Um, and this is something I'm learning as I go with this podcast is, you know... What is, I mean, goddamn, the whole thing's basically uh, uh, self-promotion in a way, but I don't think so. I mean, I know how much I love the podcast I listen to, so I'm just going to run with it and see how it feels. Um, y- you know, 
again with this career i mean i had a wonderful wonderful year last year i can't uh stress my gratitude enough and i got to go to like five different places to shoot five different films and then got to do my own film and i got paid uh nicely and you know the accounts are full and uh life is good but i actually did not book a part I've auditioned for since 2013. In other words, I was getting offered a lot of stuff, but at the same time, getting turned down for everything else. So I would be auditioning for all this stuff, be getting frustrated that I wasn't booking it, and then get these offers out of the blue, which totally reminds me of that Baz Luhrmann song from 1997, Everybody Needs to Wear Sunscreen, because he talks about this idea that I think it's worries uh, worries about as useful as trying to solve an algebra problem by chewing bubble gum. And then like the chick voices come in and it gets all... I used to drive, maybe it was a bit later than that. I, I was working at Eastside Mario's, I think, as a busboy. And God, I loved that job. I loved working as a busboy. I loved working as a waiter. I loved all the people I worked with down there at front and uh, was there for about a year and a half. It was just a great time. Uh, I never... That I, that I can remember, and I don't think I'm glossing over it, I never didn't like going for a shift. And part of it was that I had managers who really got my deal so I could, like, have napkins and write poetry or, or go, you know, leave early for an audition. And it doesn't mean that they liked it. It just means they let me without making a big deal about it. And this was awesome for me. And also I love interacting with people. So, so serving tables was great, and the money was great. Um, and as I remember it's just this song... You know, that everybody should wear sunscreen. Oh, my brother, my brother. Yeah, I, I don't even remember how it goes, but I loved it. And sometimes the radio would edit out that singing part, but that for me was one of the, that's the emotional kicker of that song. But chewing uh, chewing bubblegum to solve an algebra problem is like worrying because the things that are gonna, whatever, are gonna blindside you on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, awful paraphrase of his song, but... That's kind of what my career has been like for the last year and a half is that I'm so focused on A and I'm not kidding when I say that in almost a year and at least a quarter, if not a year and a half, quite literally, not one thing I focused on other than the film I created myself came to fruition, but all this other stuff I wasn't focusing on did. So uh, this Soderbergh one was interesting because I called my agent right after and said, look, man, I blew the audition. Uh, totally, totally blew it. So we can forget about that one. And, uh, turns out it wasn't the case. Blind spots, my friends to the new listeners. Uh, I think it's important to work things. My, my math teacher used to say, do problems until you're tired of getting them right. Uh, he was right. Obviously, uh, you you know, once you, you, you do this stuff and, and you're like, okay, well that, that's just what, how it goes now, uh, moving on. Um, this idea of blind spot, it, it, it just keeps coming up for me. And so that's how little I know about what kind of a performer I am because I rarely call my agent and say I blew it. And then the one I call and say I blew it on, I'm now working for the guy who directed the Oceans movies and basically fired one of the first shots in the 90s indie film uh, revolution with Sex, Lies, and Videotape and and all that stuff and is just breaking the molds with this stuff. So that's really exciting for me too. Um, 
I, I don't know. I'll keep you guys updated. By the way, for for the update, I have in no way lost a single uh, pound gram since uh, since I told you guys I was dropping ten pounds in three weeks because I thought I, I might book this part. I, I have my shirt off a few times for this. Luckily, I've got a bit of time. <coughs> uh, but man. Uh, my metabolism is slower than it used to be because it used to be uh, don't drink for a night or don't eat pizza and, you know, the next day you're three, four pounds lighter. Uh, This is not that anymore, it seems. Whatever, uh, I'm happy. Oh, (laughs) this is a tough one too. When your girlfriend tells you that uh, you look good with your belly. Hell, you look so hot with your belly. And when, by the way, she says, you look kind of like Marlon Brando with your belly. And I'm thinking, well, look good, check. Marlon Brando, I mean, fuck, you know, ish, check, ish. Uh, what, what are we talking about? Are we talking about, you know, Marlon Brando mutiny on the bounty? He's still kind of pulling it off. Are we talking about one-eyed Jack's Marlon Brando, which is, you know, not bad. Bad. He's kind of putting on a bit of weight. And by the way, one thing about Marlon Brando, uh, I was working with an actor named Richard Thomas who played John Boy Walton. And by the way, uh, we can stop saying that now because he's phenomenal on The Americans season three back. Uh, and he plays the CIA director. Uh, God, I just love this guy. He's the closest thing I have to an acting mentor. Uh, we did a series together for a year. And I remember talking about this Brando movie and I was like, you know, he... He is basically like playing gay always. And Richard just started jumping up and down. He's like, yes, yes. Now, Richard's parents ran the New York, uh, I don't know what the official title is, but the ballet uh, in New York, uh, which is part of the, not part of the reason, but basically he got involved in performing. I think his first thing was age four or something. So in any case, uh, he's like, you're you're like the only other person because it's the way he walks and clenches his ass cheeks and you know, with my ballet background, I'm not not doing this. So, a lot of compliments in what Emily said, but Brando kind of lost it. I mean, God, wasn't he 40 playing 70 in uh, in The Godfather? <laughs> you know, he was that decrepit by then. Uh, in any case, uh, the, the, the other point, though, despite the fact that it's so nice to be unconditionally loved, aww, don't you just love it when he gets so romantic about his girlfriend all the time um is that uh she's complimenting me for something that i have decided to change uh and it's difficult to change no it's not that difficult involves willpower but enough willpower that it's like well maybe i will eat this uh second cup chocolate chip cookie with m&ms on the top and maybe i'll start tomorrow because my girl likes my brando belly That's what I'm talking about. So Emily went to LA today. I want to talk about this. Um, you know, she, I don't think, has gone on a trip alone. And I'm not going to speak for her. Uh, she she joins us for the podcast a lot. And uh, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into to her motivations other than she said one thing, which was pretty straightforward last week. It was like you know. I'm not totally sure. And I mentioned this in the podcast last week about not really being sure why you're doing something, but you say you're gonna. The whole Tony Robbins thing. Give your give yourself no outs. <laughs> I guess I got to fucking get get on that bike tonight then, because I keep talking about something I'm not doing. In any case, give yourself no outs. So 
she told everyone she was going to LA. It was a great decision. It was made in uh, what you might call a moment of clarity for her in terms of just wanting from this deep place to take that trip alone. I'm going to meet her in a week and a half, but you know, to go alone. And then last week she goes, Hey, I, uh, I don't even really know. Like, obviously I know, but I don't know what it's like to know what it's like to go through like customs on my own. And then there was that pause, that moment of genuine sort of vibration of, of openness, which I won't even call fear necessarily. And then, and that's why I'm going. And I fucking love that. And I've talked about how, you know, uh, 10 years ago it'd be breakup material because she doesn't want to learn how to drive standard and for me this is key right Uh, I had to learn a bit about myself which is that I don't want to uh, have to insist what another person is driven towards so just because I love cars and how they function uh, as a function of gear changing that matters to me that doesn't have to matter to her but something does you know i i couldn't be attracted to her and by the way if you know the people i know are pretty motivated that's not a slag if you're not it really isn't but you know uh, world champion martial artists and iron men and uh guys who in crossfit contests and that's not everybody but a sample size of the people I know is that they're motivated. Uh, a lot of independent motivation where the job's not going if you don't get this done by Friday, you're fired. It's like, I want to do this. I'm going to set my own goal and I'm going to achieve it. And it was one of those moments where I was like, see, that's so, Im- like, again, you're, you're, you're not good at something, so you're going to go do it. I love that. And this is something, you know, I personally really liked high school. Um, I got picked on a lot. By today's uh, standards, I definitely got bullied. I've talked about this a bit on Facebook where uh, I danced ballet from about age 9 until 19 and had long hair down, you know, the middle of my back. And it just wasn't what was happening. It was uh, pre-grunge. And, uh, you know, I wasn't cool uh, to a lot of people. Uh, It ebbed and flowed, by the way. And and I've mentioned very openly that I was also a bully in like grade 5 or 6. You know, some people I picked on uh, sometimes maliciously, sometimes without even any clue I was doing it. Um, so none of this is a big, woe was me, but fully not always the easiest time day to day. I'm not even always sure the extent of it, blind spot therapy, all that stuff. However, I will say this, uh, academically, I fucking loved it. I love the challenge. I love going from class to class. And I saw each, each course as a game, as a, as a game to win. Um, and, and, you know, did okay in school, did well in school and, and liked it, uh, a lot. And it's so weird to me that we just kind of decide, okay, you graduate and uh, and maybe you go to university too, but aside from like doctors or lawyers or, or really hardcore professional degrees, we kind of stop doing things that we're not good at. So you get out of school and it's like, well, I was never much good at English, so I'm just going to go into math. Or I was never much good at band, so great, I don't have to take it beyond grade nine. Done. I guess we just have one life to live. But I kind of want to challenge myself to learn and grow and, you know, that, that the act of learning is as important, actually, it's probably more important than what I'm learning. And uh, my brother and I were talking about this a lot in terms of, um, you know, a psychological study talks about choice and this idea uh, that we want 
to gather all the information we can so that we can make the best choice we can. And we feel like that will help us make the best choice. And what these studies have essentially kind of shown is that there's no such thing as a best choice. Granted, uh, sticking a needle in your arm full of cocaine, yeah, that's a bad choice when you have to work in 20 minutes. Um, we're not talking about that. We're talking, do you take job A or job B? Do you live in Seattle or do you live in uh, you know, New York or, or, or wherever? What the study ultimately comes up is, so all that fundamentally is the most important thing is, which one can you get behind? Which one can you grip it and rip it? Um, you know, which one can you, can you really, really just go, I'm in. I'm all in and I'm gonna do it. And again, this goes back to sort of Emily's choice. Uh, just, I'm going to LA. Does it matter why? It's pilot season, I guess this and that, but it's it's just a choice. And I think about all the crazy, I'm, well, not even crazy. You know, first year university, I decided I wanted to read more. So I would go to the library at lunchtime and I would find a nook and I'd pick a book and I'd read it and I'd go back every lunchtime. I wouldn't sign the book out. And again, I mean, you guys are listening to this digitally and I always go on about this, but it's such a significant thing for me in my life, which is pre-internet, pre-internet. I mean, think about this. There you, obviously, if you're, if you're old, as old as me or, or even just a bit younger, you know what I'm talking about, but just imagine you just, you can never quote unquote be anywhere you're not. You just have to go there. So you go to the library, you meet the people at the library, you see the same people doing what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Now this for me is where the sort of, uh, the for me the kind of key came is, I, that wasn't totally my thing. You know, I went and I think I read like two books and, and they weren't even hard, like Old Man and the Sea, you know, like high school reading material for most and it just wasn't on our curriculum. But, but it was enough that I tried it and I fully executed something and then it's like, okay, well, now to keep going to the library every lunch hour instead of, let's say, I don't know, to the lab or to, to my play rehearsal would actually be inauthentic. So I don't need to prove anything beyond the initial ability to get over the zero, to choose something, motivate, and go do it. Um, and then uh, I was even thinking in terms of uh, once I got a cavity filled without any freezing, uh, I was working for the Coast Guard at the time doing search and rescue and we would do two weeks on, two weeks off. And it was a really amazing summer. I was up on an island and uh, this great guy, Craig, was one of my bosses. My brother was one of my other bosses. Uh, and it was, you know, three of us on an island. When the storm rolled in is when we'd put on the floater suits, a huge pot of coffee, wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, usually the rheostatics version, and just wait for the call to come in because we're going to hammer out into like 10, 15 foot chop in the Zodiac 7-3 and go save somebody. That's fucking living, man. I swear to God, that's living and it's funny because you know I mentioned that I struggled at theater school and uh that summer I ran into the head of acting and he's like hey uh how was your summer going uh and I said well uh I think I might just want to spend my life driving boats man and I kind of meant it and he goes oh there's hope for you yet uh at the time I thought he was being a pretentious fuck uh, I still think he was being a pretentious fuck, but I also think he was right because until I cared about something real, 
there was no way I was ever going to be able to be, I think, interesting or compelling as a performer um, and, and have something worth offering, something worth talking about, you know, something worth something worth having a chat over at dinner, you know, like, oh, yeah, that summer I worked for the Coast Guard. I mean, it, I didn't do it for the story, but I'm sure as shit glad I have the story because I did it, you know, uh, took the trip. And so when I went to L.A., um, I think it was 2003 I moved down. Again, not pre-internet, but I use the internet for email only. I'm sure Facebook existed, but not to me. MySpace didn't exist to my knowledge. Friends to fuck it. I don't even think, whatever. I, you know, no. Um, so no social networking is my point. No Google Maps. No smartphones. Uh, so I had a Thomas Guide, which was a book that was a map. So when I went to L.A., I got lost a lot. I had to pull over and check the map a lot. Um, I had to basically use my cousin Brendan as my Google map. Now, this is, for me, I guess the point of all this pre-post-internet crap that I always go on about. Brendan Monahan's my cousin. He's one of my favorite people in the world, and he moved to L.A., I think, 10 years before I did. So I would call Brendan almost daily for basics. Hey, uh, I have this audition over at this address in Santa Monica. Uh, how long do you think it'll take me to get there? He was kind of like my Google map. Uh, hey, uh, Circuit City, okay place to buy a TV? Uh, or are they like ripoff artists? Okay, thanks, my Google Yelp or whatever you want to call it. In other words, I got closer to a family member and friend. And by the way, Frank Barbano, New McDonough, these guys I had met on the Cape. Boston and then when they were also out there so now I got a few more resources who are fucking people real people actual people and then they had like a softball game every weekend so I'd go play softball grow the thing now by the way not best friends with all these people didn't uh you know whatever but you go for enough beers at Barney's and you you chat enough and at the very least, you have a bit of a community. A real fucking community. Actual people who I actually have coffee with, actually had a beer with, actually danced with. Not online. Uh, and and if you knew somebody, you knew them because you saw them. Uh, and I'm still, I'm, I'm going back quite recent with this to something like 2003. Now, uh, what's interesting for Emily right now is that she's going down and doesn't have the GPS and doesn't have a data package. And I'm so happy for her. You know, she's staying with someone who she, she met through a friend. And uh, I don't know. I wish for anybody under, what's, I don't know what the cutoff is, 35, to uh, have experiences where you are where you are. Uh, this is a bit separate from what I'm talking about in terms of challenging yourself, but it's kind of the same idea because it is a challenge. And even I remember uh, this gal I, I studied acting with in LA, she talked about her trip to Europe and she basically backpacked from internet cafe to internet cafe. No fucking word of a lie. And I just thought, oh my God, I went to Europe for two months. I think I phoned my folks once, maybe twice. I was meeting my uncle in Ireland and my aunt in uh, in Austria and uh, I sent a postcard to the girl I'd sort of been off and on with. That's it. Like, that's it. I was gone. Where I was is where I was. And I really wish that for people. Um, I don't know. It, it's important to me. And by the way, I'm really bad at it. 
You know, I delete Instagram from my phone once every month for a week and I try and not do a lot of Facebook stuff. And, and I even get, I hate the fucking self-promotion on Facebook, but, uh, you know, if you spot it, you got it. I mean, I, I use, I use Facebook mostly for business to, to, you know, uh, let people know my acting classes are up and, and let people know that this podcast exists. I mean, that's where 90% of the listeners come from. So I don't know. I don't know where it fits. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Who gives a shit? Uh, it's that summer camp idea. Every kid today is having just as much fun as we did. And every generation before him is having just as much fun. And this one came, uh, we talked about this with regard to the sledding. You know, everybody thinks, oh, now that it's safer or whatever, it's like, yeah, let it be safer. You know, <laughs> let kids not have to get hurt playing British Bulldog. Um, I used to rail against that, but... Yeah, what the fuck do I know? I, I feel like I got the best of all of it, including, oh, I got to LA when you still had to have a Thomas guide, but then I got to uh, send gals, uh, you know, photos back and forth when I'd get stoned and be on MySpace. Um, what? I never did that. I swear I never did that. I also swear that none of the girls I had MySpace phone sex with uh, weren't who they were claiming to be uh, because their photos were obviously them. What? God, I love it when he makes up stuff about late nights, lonely in his apartment on his computer doing drugs. Yeah, I love when I make that stuff up too. Um, Got a few questions here, by the way. So uh, this one's actually from Emily, but it's a really genuine question uh, she wants to know for the podcast. I went to a therapist yesterday for the first time in years. And uh, part of this for me came about because uh, my mom had a stroke in the spring. Uh, I was away, but I was told not to fly back because it was a, a, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, and that the recovery was basically immediate. There was nothing to be done. So uh, when I got back, you know, uh, initially there was like some slurring and stuff like that, but ultimately, um, you know, she she has some slight effects, you know, she has more trouble working her camera now than she did or, or remembering, you know, sometimes the dates or whatever. And it's, it's very hard for me to watch. And it's hard for me on so many levels because I want to offer all the love and all the help and service and visits and all that stuff that I can, but it still can be a toxic environment for me because I don't love the way her and my dad relate to each other. So, uh, the fact that I'm, op- you know, I, I basically spent a lot of time away. I was in LA, so I got to basically incubate with regards to my family, if you know what I mean. So I go through what I consider basically recovery, where I'm meeting with a therapist, I'm stopping the drinking and drugs, and I'm actually getting to like myself. And a large part of that for me was having healthy boundaries with my family. And, uh, my therapist, when I got home to Toronto and I wrote him, I was like, man, things are different. Like I feel present and confident and I don't need to disengage from my parents and I can have normal conversations with them and I don't need to accept their truth as my truth, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, the totality of what I was trying to impart to you is that until you can individuate yourself from your family, it might not be safe to be a part of it. Well, the might not, (laughs) forget that, wasn't wasn't because I was such a habitual recreation of the various sort of models that I had, by the way, including my fantastic brother who I consider to have gotten me through all the difficult stuff. But again, like I talked about being an eight-year-old and having a worldview that starts when you're an eight-year-old that basically becomes your worldview as an adult. Similarly, uh, my hero, uh, let's say, uh, was my brother. Well, he was 14, 
you know, wearing tight, like, pale wash Lee jeans uh, and a, a, a an 88 uh, black mesh uh, football tank top and trying to navigate his own way through the world. And... Uh, with his own child paradigm. So basically one child was grabbing onto another child's paradigm as a savior mechanism. So despite the fact that, you know, that's a guy who has never literally once wronged me in any way, shape or form, uh, I still had to unlearn what I'd adapted and and adopted from him. So even that became unsafe, even though that was the most well-intentioned, helpful thing to me at a certain age. In other words, stuff that had served me once no longer served me, and part of being an adult is recognizing that. I just didn't realize what being an adult was until it was kind of too late in a way. You know, everything had to go away for me to go, what? Uh, You know, so the point is that I come back, I feel pretty whole, I feel pretty healthy, and I have that thing that I'd never known how to create, which is a healthy boundary, where letting someone in uh, here doesn't mean letting them in everywhere. you know, the phrase, I don't want to talk about that right now, or the idea that knows a complete sentence. These were huge ideas for me and, uh, and worked. They really worked. But then when my mom had her stroke, uh, I found myself needing to open up more. And the opening up, I found to also come with pain. Uh, and, you know, I didn't know where that new boundary lived. So I made an appointment, went to see a therapist. And it was so funny because as I'm talking to him about all this stuff, he just kind of goes, uh, Sean, I... I I don't know why you're here. Uh, you know, what? Wh- wh- why are you here? You seem to be really aware of what's going on and you seem to not be acting out because of it. Because for me, that was part of the, the whole, we all got blind spots, but the big thing about it is the acting out. So when my blind spot makes me inject drugs into my arm, that's a fucking problem. Uh, not that that's the only component of something like alcoholism or addiction, but... I think it's one of them. I think it's one of the things that can make a guy, for me it was, how about that? For me, it was one of the things that could make me cross the line to the point where my body and spirit and soul and all that craved. But prior to that, I was acting out. Um, So in any case, I said to him, I fucking don't know why I'm here. I do, and I told him my blind spots idea, and he's, you know, obviously that's, that's makes sense, but it's really interesting to sit there and go, look, all I can tell you is that I'm you know, I spent the last while focusing totally on what I didn't have, not what I had. And by the way, I'm not even saying sitting around staring at things and going, oh my God, I have a nice watch. I'm so grateful, even though I am, like 100% am ecstatically grateful. Uh, And if you've never gone broke after A, being an adult and B, being successful, you know, I made a lot of money in my 20s and didn't know anything about money management. Zero, zero, zero. Uh, and a lot of people conferred upon me that I knew a lot about money because I was earning it. Well, there's a real difference between making a paycheck and knowing what the fuck to do with the paycheck. But as a young actor with no responsibilities financially other than to myself, uh, that paycheck was essentially all disposable income above rent. Uh, so it got pretty fun pretty fast and it all went away. And to be utterly broke, no prospects at age 33, 34, after having had a lot of stuff, it's fucking humbling. Um, that's not the case anymore. And again, I've never, I've, I've never actually earned from a job what I earned in my 20s on single jobs. You know, I've been able to add my years up. Uh, 
and that was humbling for a while and and that was a source of great whatever for me so i did have to learn gratitude so i do i do actually look at something like my watch and go God, I'm so fucking grateful that I actually get to own this. Whereas in the past, I wasn't really grateful for anything. I sort of felt entitled. Um, did I really feel entitled? I don't know. I just didn't know anything but that because my first gig was, you know, a series lead. Uh, and it created a basic, uh, oh, by the way, I also created a debt cycle, but I won't bore you guys with all that because I was in debt right before the series lead came. Uh, and so I just figured that's how it works. You spend all your money and then some, and then you get bailed out. Well, there was no bailout. Uh, at a certain point, and uh, it got really hard. Uh, it ultimately led me to move home here. It led me to meet Emily. It led me to learn how to create work, sometimes out of frustration, uh, but it led to that thing we're talking about called satisfaction. So I'm sitting here talking about all this stuff with this therapist, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm here, and I don't know how long we'll do this, but I do know that this worked for me in the past, and I do know the best massages I've ever gotten were when I didn't need them. Where when I didn't have a kink in my shoulder or a torn labral, whatever the fuck's going on with my hip, uh, that I just, you know, could use a, a, a bit of work. So I'll be real curious to see how this process goes. But again, uh, Emily just kind of wanted me, wanted to ask, like, why am I going, given the nature of the conversation I related to her? My answer is I don't know. But I do know, again, it, the best answer is just that, what I said about the, uh, the massage. Uh, the best massages I've ever had were when I didn't need them. And, uh, you know, going for the oil change. The best way you can maintain your car is getting it an oil change regularly, not going when the check engine light shows on. So I think that's a bit of what I'm doing. And uh, I can actually, even before I went, just the choice to make that appointment I notice I'm talking to my parents. And by the way, when I say parents, I call my parents the scene of the crime. And such a shitty thing to call two people I love and who who support me. But all my shit started there. Like that was it, you know. That's where the chalk outline is. Uh, and uh, if I can deal with that, then my relationship with you or my boss or my... I mean, I you, the fucking extent to which I basically told my bosses in my 20s to fuck off without ever literally saying it... It's painful. It's embarrassing because I didn't realize how much I was trying to reject authority because of how mad I was at my parents. Now, by the way, not for any one thing, but because I'd never let myself be mad. And there was an article today on Facebook. I actually want to pull this up for a second because it's so important to me to get this right, which is this woman talked about losing her brother to an OD. And uh, she says... Something about, oh, fuck, I'm not going to be able to find it. Allowing the sadness, you know, um, and that some time doesn't heal all wounds. And for me, again, fundamentally, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, I couldn't love my parents or anybody, by the way. Uh, this is why I'm so big on reality versus fake it till you make it. I couldn't love my parents until I learned how to hate them. And I couldn't love uh, anything, including myself, until I was willing to get real with the cracks in it. Um so hold on let me find this one line here and uh the first thing it's not about forcing happiness it's about not letting the sadness win i love that so it's not about pretending that there's no hate or rage or anger and by the way this includes towards my career when i don't book those parts it's just about not letting the woe is me the world's against me and it literally some days just has to be 50.1 percent uh, to 49.9, but that'll be enough. So that's pretty good. I'm happy about that. Uh, Randy Dauphin. Randy Dauphin is my karate sensei. I've known him for over 20 years now. 
again, one of my favorite people on the planet. He's a brother, uh, and he's my sensei, so I'm going to call him sensei. So sensei wanted to know, now the barn wedding's going to be able to be seen, and he, uh, he saved my ass one day because... We needed some people to come uh, for a, a wedding scene uh, or a maybe wedding scene. Uh, and the bottom line is uh, I didn't have as many people as I needed because it was about minus 35 that day. And he rallied uh, friends and family and uh, and some karate club members. And thank God, you know, and, and this is how these day-to-day movie-making processes work. So thank you for that, Sensei. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I think he was half kidding. But, okay, Working with uh, with him was equivalent to someone just having your fucking back. Now, it's funny because in this karate crew, we talk about that, you know, and it's such an obvious thing. I mean, karate is a martial art. The karate we do goes back to Okinawa. It's got military roots, especially because of all the servicemen who basically from Okinawa and, and Korean Wars and Vietnam brought back. Uh, so they had their military training and they were learning something martial that in, in its origins was used to kill, uh, not to, to win a tournament. So there's an essence of that that we have to us, you know, like direct, one of our direct senseis is one of the most highly decorated Marines in all of Vietnam, Sensei Sandoval. So the point is, is that it's real easy to say, I got your back. I got your back. But it's not like someone at a bar <laughs> in like Roadhouse smashing someone over the head with a beer bottle and five guys jump up and you got this great brawl. It doesn't, for me, it's never unfolded like that. It's stuff like this where I don't know how we're going to get the extras we need. And he doesn't, he doesn't have to say, I got your back because he's got my back. It's people who don't have your back <laughs> who are usually going to tell you how much they got your back. It's the people who just show up who don't fucking have to say it because they just do it. And again, I mean, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, so that's what it was like working with someone who uh, literally, and by the way, interesting thing because as my sensei, there's a, uh, there's a direction. I don't even want to call it power, although that would be an appropriate term. Um, but I choose to call him my sensei. I choose to bow to him first. And, 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 you know, there's just an inherent, uh, respect mechanism where, you know, if we're deciding where to go for dinner, I let him decide. And I like it that way. I really do. But in this, I'm the director and it won't work on set if I'm asking him what he wants to do. And the other thing I want to say that was lovely about working with him, and if you don't have people in your life who can give this way, uh, look out for it, you know. This is a fucking uh, a world champ karate man, um, a, 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 you know, leader of a number of karate clubs, this and that, and also has his, his own day job and all that. But when it's time for me to direct, he just goes, what do you need? Where do you need us? And I know it's done. And I get to say, do it here, do it here. I call him sensei doing it, but I'm absolutely telling him what to do. And he let me. And uh, obviously, you know, you can say, well, why should an adult have to let another adult? Because I choose for that to be the dynamic. Uh, and I wouldn't choose for that to be the dynamic if, 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 if it never turned around the other way. You know, turnaround's fair play in all respects. So thank you for that long answer, but I really, really mean that, you know. And for me, the take-home message there is, yeah, when people tell you how fucking, you know, I'll never let you down, it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. It's like the cigarette thing. Uh, until something comes up, just don't say anything, you know. Just don't say anything. I was reading this thing today about uh, this famous uh, Lakota. I'm going to look this up as well. Um I, I love just scouring this. 
what uh not nah, fuck i'm not gonna get the name right it's going to be hard for me to say. Let's look up these quotes. Basically, what this Lakota chief, who was famous enough because he had gone to uh, an American uh, school that sort of took you know him as a savage and trained him uh, as as a you know uh, white American kind of in terms of language and all that kind of thing. Luther Standing Bear, that's his name, and he talks about how. When spoken to, the Lakota generally listen, think, take a while, and then respond, and that's considered respectful. You know, and even myself, God, all I want to do is answer as quickly as possible. Part of it is competitive, and part of it is that, uh, you know, I do have so many ideas, but the reason I have so many ideas is because I'm not fucking listening to you. Because the second you you say like you 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 mention the noun in your first sentence, that just sets me off. So you're like, well, I was you know playing my guitar the other day, and all I'm thinking about is all my stories of guitars to tell you. I, I'm just waiting for you to take a breath till I can chip in, and then the only thing that I think makes me a slightly better conversationalist is I'm pretty good at disguising that that's what I'm doing. Um, so and he mentions how basically. Uh, by taking that pause, they're often just perceived as oafish uh, and stoic in a way that equaled stupid. Uh, and so again, um, maybe I'd like to take a little more pauses and uh, not fear someone thinking I'm dumb because uh, it's not a flash drill in grade four, you know, where I got to say what two plus eight is faster than the person. Did you guys remember that? Did you ever do that? We had flashcards and a person would start. I love this game. They'd start at the front left and then the two students would stand up and whoever could answer it quickest got to move on. Um, anyways, good game. Okay. So, wow. Damon Runyon. Uh, love Damon Runyon. He and I get along great. And, uh, you know, we're both actors and we go out for a lot of the same stuff. You know, he, uh, he just worked on a thing called gangland undercover and I was real close to getting that part. And that's hard. You know, it's genuinely hard. I won't pretend it's not. Uh, it's just not hard for me to be friends with him. I'm really happy for him. Ecstatic actually. Um, and as we know, the work, it ebbs and flows. The, the, the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of the people I'm friends with are my age. They're my, uh, you know, you see them at auditions a lot of the time. Uh, the, the only trap for me with that is everybody ends up being kind of white and looking exactly like me, but that's okay because uh, whatever, I'm friends with who I'm friends with. But uh, so Damon asked this question, what is the best way to stay focused when you feel like you are building a wall made out of sand grain by grain? Dude, this is such a good question, and I do think this is a bit of what I've talked about um, a bit today. You know, if you extend... <sighs> There's so much going on here with this question, right? Because on one hand, building something... Like, why would you build a wall that's built of sand? So that, for me, is the first thing. And I, and I know it's a metaphor, but it's it's a telling metaphor. If you're building a wall made of sand, you're going about it wrong. And that's important. Like, it's important to pull back the lens and go, does this need to happen? Like, do you need the wall? Uh, is the wall important? If it's important, then maybe go, hey, uh, who knows how to build a wall? And I'm really stressing, like, I actually believe this answer. It's not just riffing. Um, a lot of people come to me to learn how to act, or not learn how to act, but to train their acting. 
And I promise them that I know how to train their acting. I don't know how to train their career. So if the wall is their career, I let them know I'm not the guy for you. If your wall is moment-to-moment response of awesome acting, I fucking promise you I can help you with that. Uh, And, you know, uh, I guess for me that's kind of what it comes down to is my karate teacher is the guy I go to to learn how to build that wall. And when I start adding too much sand, he goes, hey, you need some fucking mortar in there. You know, you need to add a brick. You need to go get a trowel. And I'm like, well, no, I think this will work. Uh, that's kind of my obstinance and my my arrogance getting in the way. So a lot of it is that I have to be humble. I got to give over to people who know more than me when I'm trying to do that stuff. And uh, but I mentioned you know turning forty and a lot of things changing for me. And really, it does come down to letting go of certain things. So the bigger question for me is, do I need to build this wall? Now, if the answer is yes. You know, I'll go back to barn wedding because we're winding down here a bit and I kind of want to tie it up, you know, in a nice little bow, a little bow um, is basically that I didn't know how to direct a movie. I really didn't. So the three most important words I learned how is I don't know. So when our sound guy who I knew I wanted to work with asked, oh, what cameras are you using? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Are you going to use this Kodak or are you going to? I don't know. But I'll find out, and I'll find out from someone who does know. And uh, Otto, big shout-out to Bill Hornbrook. I know he's listening, uh, and uh, I'm just so fucking lucky, the people I know. Here I'm talking to Damon about this one idea, and and then I get to shout-out to fucking near Seattle, to Bill Hornbrook. You know, who's a dear friend and who I race Porsches with, and and we have a we have a shared friend who passed away, Otto John Williamson, and uh, he always used to say he was my Porsche mechanic in Venice, California, and he'd go, "No one in my goddamn shop's allowed to think. You either know or you fucking ask." Uh, I kind of like that, and where it gets tricky is when we think we know, and the other thing where it gets tricky, and by the way. As an artist, Damon, and and we both know this, sometimes you have an instinct. And there's no way to know until you try it. So again, that's where honest self-appraisal comes in too, you know. Am I, is it working? You know, how's it going? So for me in my life, the biggest thing was I'm 32. I have no money, no girlfriend, no real friends. Uh, I'm getting fired from the jobs I have. And I, I... I can't pretend anymore that things are okay. So, you know, uh, whether you call it rock bottom, moment of clarity, uh, I think there's a lot of them, but which one do we choose to grab onto? That's kind of it. So for me, and again, this is an analogy. It has nothing to do with anything specific, but the evidence was before me that everything was going the wrong way. Now today, things are going kind of in the right direction, uh, not at the pace I want. They're not looking the way I want. Uh, but they're happening. And if I do that gratitude thing, it's like, okay, you have good friends. They keep calling. You phone, they call back. (laughs) You know, you go to run your credit card for dinner. It doesn't get declined. Um, Blah, blah, blah. And you know, if I'm talking always about first world stuff, well, you're listening on your fucking iPod. So, you know, so be it. Because, you know, again, I talk about this too. I I really do like affluence and I I hope for me and for you for uh, a lot of it. Man, am I really running over this podcast, but I, I, I just uh, love chatting with you guys so much and, and listening, and I really appreciate the questions. Um, 
really appreciate the questions. So uh, I'm going to wind her up. Uh, by the way, our next guest is coming on Sunday, Elise Bauman. Um, Elise is a phenomenal actress, and she's written in with a few questions for us. And uh, Elise is the um, the star of a web series called Carmilla. Carmilla with an I. So uh, I really recommend before this podcast on Sunday that you go watch Carmilla. It's fucking awesome. And uh, she's fantastic in it. And uh, I can't wait to chat with her just about whatever, man. Whatever. Uh, Chatting between takes. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that's a wrap.